I always viewed zazen as a very pure form of prayer where you come into the presence of God without any agenda, without any words, ideas, concepts. So for me, this was a prayer form that would bring me closer to God. But what I experienced is that I opened to the direct experience of non-duality, that we are a manifestation of ultimate reality or God, and that there is no separation whatsoever. So I was able to move from the experience of relationship to the direct experience of identity, that God incarnated as Jesus and also as the whole creation. And in modern theology, this is called deep incarnation. Ellen Jikai Burks Roshi is a Zen teacher in the White Plum lineage and co-founder of New River Zen Community in Blacksburg, Virginia. She received Dharma transmission from Roshi Robert Kennedy SJ in 1998 and Inca in 2014. Since the early 1980s, she has taught at interfaith retreats and conferences in the United States and in Europe. She is the author of Healing Zen and Selfless Love. She is co-author with her husband Charles of Waking Up Together. And her latest book is Embracing the Inconceivable, Inter-Spiritual Practice of Zen and Christianity, a guide for people who wish to integrate their practice of Christianity with Eastern forms of meditation and mindfulness. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, a podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice, as well as your life off of the cushion. I'm your host, Ian White-Marr. This podcast is sponsored by the Quantum Online Sangha, a virtual Zen practice community of the International Quantum School of Zen. Members of the Online Sangha meditate together, study with teachers, and participate in workshops and courses to develop their practice. Listeners of this podcast are invited to try a free month of training, which includes live Q&A interviews with Zen teachers, discounts on webinars and online classes, and access to a private community where students can discuss their practice and receive guidance. To access your free month of training, simply visit quantumzenonline.org and click on the free trial membership button on the homepage. So, Ellen, I wanted to start our conversation with your transmission story because it's, it's unique, I think, for a lot of people who are Zen practitioners. Your teacher, your the the person who gave you transmission is also a Catholic priest, uh, Robert Kennedy, and he actually is given uh, permission to teach. For quite, he's quite a lineage now. I think there's like 19 people he's given transmission to or, or uh, some form of permission to teach. And I'm curious about what it's like to have a Catholic priest as your Roshi. Because I'm sure you've interacted with other Roshis and, and how, like, how that flavor colors your, your Zen practice and your, your path. Well, it's a tremendous great fortune when you find the teacher that's just right for you. Yeah. And growing up in the tradi- Christian tradition since childhood, to find a person who was a 
Zen master and a Catholic priest was a great fortune because it could integrate two important aspects of my life. And there's a little story to how that came about that maybe I'll share. Charles and I were living out on the Navajo Indian Reservation where Charles was a primary school teacher. And, and Charles is your husband. Just Charles is my yeah. husband, yes. Mm -hmm. um, out on the Navajo Reservation where Charles taught at, primary, at Kaibato Primary School. And often we would get invited to sings and dances on the Navajo Reservation and also on the nearby Hopi Reservation where we met a Hopi elder named David Monangi. And he would invite us to Hopi dances and into the kiva. And then afterwards, we'd go back to his house and he would tell us stories and we'd eat blue peaky bread baked by his wife. And, and we were enthralled with Hopi culture. Hopis are the peaceful people. But after a while, he said, you know, kids, I'm really glad that you're interested in Hopi culture and that you appreciate it, but you weren't born Hopi. So what you need to do is go back to your own tradition and find what is deep there and bring it forth to help the people in the earth. And so that's what we did. Subsequently, Charles was at St. Bernard's Seminary in Rochester, New York, studying to become a deacon in the Catholic Church. And on the bulletin board, we, we spotted a little flyer that was about Bernie Glassman at the Zen Community of New York offering interfaith retreats along with Father Robert Kennedy and Rabbi Don Singer. <laughs> so this was 1982, yeah, what a crew. right. And it was amazing. We went down to New York and, and began attending those retreats. And it was wonderful to see a Zen master, Bernie Glassman, and a Jewish rabbi um, Don Singer and a Catholic priest, Robert Kennedy, interacting like brothers and teaching together. And so Roshi Kennedy at that time was not a, a Zen teacher, but in 1991, when he became a Zen teacher, we became his students, some of his first students. So we've been with him for about 30 years now. And wow. yes. And he has still been teaching at Morning Star Zendo in Jersey City. And we now have our own Zen group down in um, Blacksburg, Virginia, New River Zen community. But it's been a wonderful journey together. We've traveled with him all over the country and to Ireland and England and other countries as well, Switzerland and so forth. And I always said that our Zen training with Roshi Kennedy was kind of like being um, roadies with a rock band. We roll into town, usually to various Zen centers or Catholic retreat houses, and we'd set up the Zendo and serve as head monk and whatnot. And then after the retreat or session, we'd take it all down and go on to the next town. We might meet in California one month and Colorado in the next month and Ireland most recently, which has been a, a wonderful journey. In addition to being a Zen Roshi and a Jesuit priest. Roshi Kennedy is a, worked many years as a psychoanalyst. So for me, with my background in Christianity and in Zen and in working as a psychiatric nurse, he was the perfect combination of not only Christianity and Zen, but also psychotherapy and, and modern neuroscience and so forth. 
So when you found uh, Roshi Kennedy, how did the insight into you know, your understanding of your relationship with Jesus and your understanding with the tradition you grew up in, because you weren't raised Catholic, but you found enough commonality in what was there to follow a, a Catholic priest. And how did your understanding of the story of Jesus and the story of the Christ change when you became a Zen student? How my understanding changed was that prior to doing Zen, I was looking for a deep relationship with Jesus and God. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought I always viewed Zazen as a very pure form of prayer where you come into the presence of God without any agenda, without any words, ideas, concepts. Um, so for me, this was a prayer form that would bring me closer to God. But what I experienced is that I open to the direct experience of non-duality, that we are a manifestation of ultimate reality or God, and that there is no separation whatsoever. So I was able to move from the experience of relationship to the direct experience of identity, that God incarnated as Jesus and also as the whole creation. And in mm -hmm. modern theology, this is called deep incarnation. That's what is true for Jesus, that Jesus is a manifestation of ultimate reality or God, is also true for each of us and for all of creation. Now, Zen um, really is really profound and subtle. And there are some teachings that come when you study koans, like one of the koan books is the Den Kuroku the record of the transmission of the light. And in that book, there's a verse by Dungshan, who was walking through the forest one day, and he gazed into the water there in a stream running through the forest, and he saw his reflection, and he was suddenly awakened. And he exclaimed in verse, um, well, I'm not going to recite the whole verse, but he said, he surely is me, but I am not him. And I think this is an important teaching for Zen and for Christianity that he surely means, he surely is me, means that I am a manifestation of God or ultimate reality. But God or ultimate reality is greater than I am, but I am not him. He surely is me, but I am not him. And so this teaching is important to see that um, God or ultimate reality is greater than we can possibly imagine. It's greater than we are. And this insight puts the ego into proper perspective in relationship to God or ultimate reality. And in both traditions, Zen and Christianity, we're breaking through the small ego self to experience that which is greater and then going back into the world um, to serve that from which we're not separate. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, um, I and the Father are one, and whatever you do for the, to the least of these, you do to me. And so um, these are teachings of non-duality, and Zen has brought them to life for me. It was funny, I was recently talking with a, a teacher in the quantum school uh, down, he's down in Florida, and we were 
Uh, we were well, well. We were actually talking about somebody in the lineage of the quantum school, and there was a certain quote that he was using, and it reminded me so much of that passage from John. I am not uh, a minister, but I'm not a Christian minister, and uh, I so I might get this wrong. The Christians who are listening are like, "That's not the verse," <laughs> but it was uh, you know, it's in John. I think it's John 14, where uh, it's like, "I am the way." Uh, you know, and only you know, only through me, which I think sometimes gets interpreted in a very fundamentalist way. Often, yeah. And but I I think if you're using the the practice of Zen, if you're uh, and you're not a Zen fundamentalist, <laughs> which I think can also happen, right? You see these people who are, you know, I see people who are very critical of Christianity within the Zen tradition, and I'm like, what? What are you? Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, and to see, yeah, only through me, not the person, but the this non-dual through the one God through the path. Yeah, through the one ultimate reality. Right. And uh, I remember actually he hearing that passage for the first time from a not from a dualistic place, but from a non-dualistic space. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what he meant. Well, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful Zen poem by the Zen poet, Ikkyu. Mm. And it says, there are many paths up the mountain. Mm -hmm. But at its peak, we all view one single bright moon. Mm -hmm. And I think this poem is helpful because if you go up the mountain on the east face, maybe it's a gentle stroll through the woodlands and on up meadows and on up to the peak. If you go up the mountain on the west face, maybe it's a strenuous climb over boulders and, and scaling cliffs and so forth. And then even at the top, depending on the weather conditions and the time of the month and so forth, the bright moon can appear very different to the different people that reach that peak. So there's a single bright moon, but people's, it's inexhaustible. Mm -hmm. It can be experienced and expressed in many, many ways. And ultimately, it's a great mystery. It's beyond anything we can imagine or conceive with the intellect. It's, and that's why I chose um, Embracing the Inconceivable mm -hmm. for the title of my book. Mm -hmm. Because in both traditions, Zen talks about not knowing, and Christianity talks about the great mystery mm -hmm. of God. And so ultimately, um, we reach this place where words and intellect and imagination fail us, and it needs to be a direct experience. You know, and I hear you use that phrase in some of the talks you've given, uh, you know, greater than anything we could possibly imagine. And, you know, I think sometimes when we say don't know or not knowing in the Zen tradition, um, I mean, even the way that it's structured, sometimes it's it's confusing. And I think it's done intentionally, right, to sort of jar you away from trying to be like, well, maybe I can know it. And And there's this real softness I hear when you say, you know, it's just greater than anything we can possibly imagine. So, like, let's let that part just go. Right. Open into it. Um, Jesus 
taught us about God, that God is a loving God. Mm -hmm. And Christianity is a path of love Mm -hmm. to experience. The Christian enlightenment experience is to experience the love of God and to be drenched with it so thoroughly that we expand our own capacity to love others and love the earth and all beings. Whereas Zen is a path of meditation and it opens us beyond the intellect to something vast Mm -hmm. that we can't grasp with the intellect. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the unbounded love of God that's Mm -hmm. beyond our human capacity or whether it's um, the not knowing of Zen, there's an intimacy there that's important in experiencing it directly for yourself. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in Zen they say, not knowing is most intimate. Mm So sometimes we have to follow Zen really deeply to get to that place of not knowing is most intimate, um, of embodying the great mystery. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying it that way because I think sometimes for people who are, you know, they're trying to experience the don't know what, you know, it does not feel intimate or there it feels perhaps austere or, you know, something like that. Can you say a little bit more about the intimacy experience of, you know? Well, I think, I think it's an important idea because um, Zen can seem cold at times, but it ultimately leads to great compassion. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's best if I, I share a few Zen koans. Okay. Um, yeah, page 45 in the Muman Khan says, Even Shakyamuni and Maitreya are servants of that one. Just tell me, who is that one? So although Zen tends to use more um, impersonal language for ultimate reality, like um, the absolute or emptiness or the unknown or the unconditioned or thusness or suchness, or often it, um, sometimes it uses personal language. Just tell me, who is that one? Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's another wonderful koan that I think takes us to the place where Buddhism and Christianity meet most intimately. Mm-hmm. And that is from Zen master Pai Chang, uh, one of the most well-known Zen masters. And one day, Yun Yen um, said to him, all the time you're working, there's so much work to do because Pai Cheng was well known for saying a day of no work is a day of no eating. So um, Pai Cheng was always working and Yun asked him about this. And, and Pai Cheng replied, there is someone who requires it. And Yun said, well, why don't you have him do it for himself? <laughs> and Pai Cheng said, because he has no tools. Mm-hmm. And so this koan really takes us to the place where we have to experience directly that we are the hands of Buddha in this world, mm-hmm. that we are the hands of Christ in this world. And I think this is where um, Christianity and Zen join hands in compassionate action in that's, that flows from the boundless love of God or from the direct experience of oneness in Zen. 
there's a there's a um, Yamada Roshi was one of uh, Kennedy Roshi's Zen teachers. He studied with him in Kamakura, Japan. And Yamada Roshi once said, "If a point of contact between Zen and Christianity could be discovered, it would be an epic-making event in the history of human civilization, for the future cultural progress of the human race, and for the realization of world peace. It would indeed." be an important turning point. And so um, the reason I felt compelled to write Embracing the Inconceivable is because I think these two traditions, which are both inclusive traditions, um, have the potential to come together and provide us with spiritual resources that we really need in this time to meet the immense problems that humanity and the earth are facing. I think we need all of our resources, including our spiritual resources that come from the wisdom traditions from around the world. So I think um, I felt compelled to write this book to answer this call of Yamada Roshi. I might share an, another sentence from him. He said, um, my work with Christian students, however, is to guide these people in Zen practice and to bring them to the Satori experience. He said, questions of how this experience is to be understood from the standpoint of Christianity and what significance it has from a Christian standpoint are for Christians themselves to answer. My only wish is that both Christianity and Buddhism regain their power to bring their followers to true spiritual salvation. Hmm. So I think um, he, in a, Yamada Roshi had many Christian students, many priests and nuns studied with him in, back in the 60s and 70s in Kamakura, Japan. And then in this country, Bernie Glassman was a key figure in expanding Zen beyond the bounds of Buddhism mm -hmm. and giving Dharma transmission to um, Zen priests and nuns and Jewish rabbis and um, various other folks. So it's a very exciting time when traditions from around the world come together. But um, I'm interested in inner spiritual practice. Um, and this is a term that um, Wayne Teasdale, Brother Wayne Teasdale, coined in a book he wrote in 1999 called The Mystic Heart. Yeah, it's and, a great book. Yeah. If people haven't read that book, it's a fantastic book. Yeah. I'm and sorry, he, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. He emphasized that um, he defined uh, or described inner spiritual practice as the sharing of ultimate experiences across traditions. Mm -hmm. And so inner spiritual practice is not just talking about different traditions from around the world, or it's not just reading about different traditions from the, around the world. It's not just interfaith dialogue or interreligious dialogue, inner spiritual practice is the deep immersion and the deep practice in each tradition so that they can enlighten one another within your um, life. So it's a lived practice and it emphasizes experience. You know, just to kind of follow that up a little bit, you know, in this, I hadn't had this thought before this interview, but now sort of listening to you, I, there's part of me that wonders if there is a movement within Christianity that is 
kind of moving away from the cultural Christianity, which is, you know, I identify with this denomination or, um, and I go on Sunday because I'm a member of this community and, um, and more, there's a, you know, a group within what would be called Christianity that is really there to rediscover a practice that perhaps doesn't feel very alive for them in the, you know, in the sense of it's an identity versus a practice, you know, I don't know if there's anything there or not. I Well, there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there. And what I think it's important for people to realize is that there are um, hundreds and thousands of different branches of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds and thousands of different branches of Buddhism as well. Mm-hmm. So none of us speak for Christianity or for Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles and I belong to the American Zen Teachers Association. And it's a wonderful gathering because you can see how many, even going into one little part of Buddhism, Zen, there's many different flavors. Yeah, there's Korean yeah. Zen, there's Japanese Zen, and yeah. there's bare bones Zen, and there's really fancy Zen and so forth. So um, it's it's good. The same is true in Christianity, and the same is true within various denominations of Christianity. So um, it's, I want to say that first. Yeah. Within all that, there's a very um, extensive network of people interested in contemplative practices of all kinds, um, interested in, uh, and this is a deep prayer, a deep, silent prayer form. And so there is a long tradition within Christianity of contemplative prayer that's being rediscovered at this time, um, partly initiated by the introduction of various forms of meditation into the country. And so Mm -hmm. there was a revaluing of the meditation traditions that were already there. Um, So there's every combination of what you just described. And my hope is that um, experiencing non-duality through a practice like Zen will allow people to fully appreciate um, non-duality within their Christian tradition. And so in that way, replenish Christianity, um, enrich it. And at the same time, I think that um, some of the Christian ideas have the potential to help Zen rediscover some of this more um, profound, personal level of teaching that's already there in the Zen tradition. Could you could you say like more? Koan, like the two koans that I talked about mm-hmm. earlier, that um, where Zen um, does bring us face to face with sometimes they what the, sometimes they call the old fellow, or that one, or the one. There are some koans in Zen, and Sister Elaine McGinnis is a Catholic nun who's also a Zen roshi, lives up in Toronto, and she's written a wonderful book where she talks about the koan kangen that after one experiences the oneness um, through or non-duality through Zen practice, the oneness of Mu, one can uh, go right through the heart of Mu to experience the one, the -hmm. mystery in the heart of the void. So it's there in 
I would like to say that both Zen and Christianity are complete paths in and of themselves. And both are transformative. But I think bringing, when the two are practiced together, they enrich and complement and bring out important aspects that may not have come to the fore in a while. So it's a, a, the cross-fertilization is, is amazing. Yeah, and I, I feel like we're seeing a lot of this now. I mean, Richard Rohr has, he is so popular. Oh, for people who don't know Richard Rohr, he's a Catholic priest. Uh, also, Brother Lawrence, very popular. Cynthia Bourgeau, who's this Episcopalian uh, priest. Um, all of them deeply rooted in Christianity. All of them committed to contemplative practice, not just talking about it, but the sort of, or hearing, giving a sermon, but like telling them, telling the people who follow them that the practice is what's so important and just non-dualism. And of course, you know, Richard Rohrs, I don't, you know, I don't think he's been given permission to teach, but to read his stuff, he, he loves Zen. It's so clear that he loves Zen so much. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up those three people. And since you did, I might just comment a bit that um, I've really enjoyed reading many books by um, all three of those people. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting to note that both um, Richard Rohr and Cynthia Borgo mm -hmm. stick strictly with contemplation in the Christian tradition um, in terms of the practice of contemplation and the understanding of contemplation. And um, although they will use many stories from other traditions, mm -hmm. their practice of contemplation is not um, Zen practice or a Hindu meditation practice. It's going back to um, its Christian roots and sticking with the Christian tradition. Whereas folks like Ruben Habito and Roshi Kennedy and um, Richard Hawk and many and Elaine McGinnis, many others have actually practiced in a non-dual tradition. So they're not just um, um, illustrating their points with stories from other traditions. They've deeply experienced another enlightenment experience in another tradition. That's, so, and, that's and a then, good point. And I want to also then bring in um, Father Lawrence. Um, Roshi Kennedy has spoken quite often at their um, center there in London. Um, his teacher was John Maine, and mm -hmm. John Maine's teacher was um, a Hindu Swami that he met in Malaysia. So um, John Maine originally was um, developing his meditation approaches within the Christian tradition, but based on non-dual experiences from Hinduism. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see. I think what's important is that people be really clear and honest about their sources. You know, where has this come from? And that they cite their sources. And I happily cite my source <laughs> as Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, <laughs> in the long tradition yeah. of Zen teachers who have handed this on from person to person. So while it's wonderful that people have expanded their horizons and they'll use stories and anecdotes from many different traditions and they're doing wonderful work in mindfulness and centering prayer and so forth to make mindfulness an everyday 
um, experience for many people. Um, still, I think there can be a lot of confusion about where is this coming from and uh, just what is it? Um, it, it? And so we don't want to end up with just a little of this and a little of that. Right. We can lose the depth and depth is of essence. Depth is of essence. Right. And, I, and I'm, I'm just trying to take all of that in as you say that, because all of that rings so true. Richard Rohr, Cynthia Bourgeau, they're not in the path of like trying to make Zen Buddhists. You know, I think they see something terribly wrong with the Christian church and like, can we return to the wisdom of the desert amas and abbas and find that contemplative space there? Um, and find it in the cloud of unknowing and, the, and right. um, so forth. And they're doing wonderful work. Right. Yep. I but see that. But it's different work. It's different work. It's different than And what, it's also, um, sometimes people pull in things from t Tibetan Buddhism and things mm -hmm. from... Um, various Christian paths and so forth, and Hindu ideas, the chakras, and the, mm -hmm. all sorts of things get combined in sometimes confusing and unusual ways. You know, that's a really good point, actually, because I feel like within, and I, you actually see this also within Christianity, right? Like, um, you know, friends of mine are in one Christian tradition, they move to another town, they don't either, there, there isn't that church there or they don't like the minister or priest there and so they just go to a different like denominationally things have collapsed and also i think within the united states it's kind of like oh well i really like this part of the tibetan stuff i'm gonna do a zogchen here and I'm, you know like uh, and i'm gonna do meta here and uh, and i think sometimes teachers actually even encourage that and i'm wondering but what you're really sort of pushing here is to go deep. Depth and is yes. of essence, as you said. Yes, there's a couple of things that I'm um, promoting here. And one, <laughs> one is that no one should feel pressured uh -huh. to choose just one tradition. Uh -huh. I'm pushing human liberation, liberation yeah. of the human spirit. And that if you're enriched by more than one tradition, there is no one that can say you're limited to just one tradition. On the other hand, um, if you're just, and, and there's nothing wrong with uh, doing a meta meditation here and a um, Zen meditation there and a Christian prayer here, but um, realize that if you stay on that level, if that's all you're doing, you can really, it can really get confusing and it can really um, lose the depth of the pra of those practices. It will truncate those practices and you'll not have the depth that's there. The potential is lost. So, um, so it's, I think it's, people should be free to, mm -hmm. to experience more than one tradition and at the same time realize that they can't just kind of, you do a little of this and a little of that. So how do you, in, in You've chosen these two traditions that you have decided to go deep. And how do you do you reserve practice time? This is my zazen time, and this is my Christian 
my experience of the love time or how how do you or does it <laughs> yeah. like I sorry to feel so I feel so naive kind of asking that question but like how do you you know given what you just said how do you practice these are integrated in an individual's total life experience uh-huh. and um, one uh, point that's important though is when you're doing zazen mm-hmm. this is a uh, meditation practice that's beyond ideas, concepts, images, even the faintest concept of God. So Mm -hmm. in Zen, we let go of all thoughts, ideas, images, no music playing in the background, no guided imagery, no Mm -hmm. words. It's a silent, wordless coming into that which is um, greater than we could possibly imagine Mm -hmm. Um, without any agenda, without any words. So we just sit, just breathe during Zazen. And that might be twice a day, or when we're in session, it might be 14 times a day. However many times a day you're doing zazen, you're doing just zazen. And when you're doing a zen walking meditation, you're just walking. But throughout the rest of the day, when we may go to a Christian liturgy, we may uh, go to a Buddhist liturgy, we may um, pray with Christian friends, we may pray with Buddhist friends. We may meditate. We may do all sorts of things during the rest of the day. And when we go to work, and I work um, as a nurse and a nursing professor, and I think that's a good example. Um, When you go to work, you can pray in whatever way you need to pray. You might be mindful of your nursing practice. When I worked in the neonatal intensive care, I would often engage in in, um, being mindful of the baby I was taking care of, watching the premature baby's tiny chest rising and falling all night, the whole, the whole night shift, watching the baby's color, watching the oxygen levels. Um, it was a mindfulness practice. At other times, you might pray as you go to work, um, pray for healing for everybody in the hospital that night, and pray for the healing of the staff and, um, and for help that I don't make a mistake. So we might pray with words. We might pray silently. We might pray with a group. We might pray through a service or a liturgy. So all of the above. But the time we carve out for Zazen is silent, wordless, conceptual, emptying out of all ideas and theories and opinions and ideas. That's how that type of meditation works. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Ellen G. Kai Burks Roshi encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more by visiting the website for New River Zen at newriverzen.org. And I'll include a link to the Zen Center and her books in the show notes. A special thanks to our sponsor, the Quantum Online Sangha, Listeners of Sit, Breathe, Bow are invited to try a free month of training with the online Sangha. To access your free month, simply visit quantumzenonline.org and click on the free trial membership button on the homepage. And please consider subscribing and leaving a review of this podcast. It helps introduce us to new listeners. I'm your host, Ian White-Marr, and I hope that you'll join me again next week. Thank you.